0: Hey everyone, my name is Nick.
1: And my name is Kat. Thanks for listening to Made for You and Me. Great. Welcome back. (laughs) Welcome.
0: (laughs) Uh, Today we will be discussing the National Park of the Great Smoky Mountains.
1: I already have a confession. I have been to the Great Smoky Mountains. (laughs) So I have lied several times already on this podcast. Um, I've been there. I really um am disappointed in myself i assumed that all of our national parks were gated and that you had to pay to get into them
0: incorrect
1: very and so you don't have to pay to go to the great smoky mountains you don't
0: and, well thanks for clearing that up for us cat
1: <laughs> you're welcome i
0: appreciate that
1: <laughs> i'm such um, a professional yeah that
0: is very big of you to step back for a minute realize that you lied to all of us <laughs>
1: Several um, times and attempt
0: to make amends. So I forgive you. I hope everyone else can.
1: Thanks. I really appreciate it. I am just human. That's I mean, right. It's hard to believe, aren't but, we
0: all? Um. Oh, okay, great. Well, this has been a day, a week for me already, Cat. I know it has for you too.
1: Tell me about it. You haven't even noticed. I painted this room red. <laughs> <laughs> you have like you I... came in here so tired wow. and so stressed out. It is like. <laughs> The darkest red, it is could be. red, and it went from white to I red. I had
0: no clue.
1: <laughs> oh man! So we have had a week, <laughs> and it's a really good thing that we're starting out with a, a national park that we both know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um,
0: oh yeah, I had no clue. And wow. there's no it looks curtains.
1: Yeah, yeah, there are no curtains on, on the windows oh. um, or anything like that. But <laughs> I think the hardest part of today is not going to be regaining our composure right now. It might be not telling stories because that's not what this is about. It's not. And so I'm going to have to, yeah, I'm going to have to, I mean, we may have to blog or something in addition. Um, Follow us on Instagram, Mm -hmm. by the way. It's uh, (laughs) (laughs) M-F-Y-A-M.
0: Made for You and Me podcast. There we go.
1: You'll find us. Yes. For uh, sure.
0: Sorry. Letters and words are so hard today.
1: Well, this should be entertaining.
0: It'll be great. Um, gr- yeah, I've had a pretty good week. It's Wednesday that we're recording right now, and it's been mostly a pretty good week. I have. I made a, uh, what do you call it? the New Year's resolution to read a book a month, okay. and I've been killing it in 2020, um, but I have not made... Um, any good progress in my October book. So that's been a little upsetting. But, uh, I mean, you know, can't win them all. I've also made time to catch up on Selling Sunset, so...
1: Oh, there you go. Well... (laughs) Obviously,
0: my priorities (laughs) are... (laughs) yeah. I I can't apologize. This is me.
1: I always thought in school that if I didn't have to do it, I was going to enjoy it more. And that's just not true. Mm -hmm. I just... I'd much rather... Listen or watch a video or something of that nature, but now we have put ourselves in a situation that I have to read you a do. lot and that on top of being in grad school is not my favorite thing, but i' I'm, I'm happier with the knowledge that I gain.
0: Oh, that's great. yes, I'm happy for you thank you um I, I was the same way. I thought that I was also going to enjoy reading more when I wasn't being told what book to read and That was true for me, although it did take me several years of being out of school to get back into it. But um, yeah, I'm enjoying it more.
1: I received a book from my fiance's mother called The Practical Wedding, and I got like five pages into it. And I was like, this has so much good information. And I I will not be having a practical wedding, just so you know. Okay, (laughs) It'll be very impractical. (laughs)
0: Um, That's fine. Just do whatever, whatever kind of wedding you want.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Shall you have we? my blessing
0: to have the type of wedding that you want? Even
1: though I'm such a liar, I've lied twice now. <laughs> I told someone I was going to have a practical wedding, and I told America, and probably internationally, that I have yeah. never been to I mean, we have park.
0: so many listeners. Mm-hmm.
1: People are excited. Yeah. It's a big deal.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> um but today we are going to... <laughs> I'll edit all this out I'm like sweating through this shirt right now Like I'm just so flustered And there's like so much going on The room is suddenly red And it's like I'm just so upset that I didn't notice it before Do you, do you need a hat to wear? so much happening I don't need a hat I do need to sip on this iced coffee um, Fun fact today is Kat's like leaving the room <laughs> As I'm talking <laughs> So for anyone who cares, fun fact, today is National Frappe Day, Um, and I wasn't able to get a frappe, but I do have my basic white girl iced coffee, Mm. Um, and some information about National Frappe Day. Uh, Did you know that the frappe was invented in 1957 in Greece during an international trade fair? So I don't know why it's called just National Frappe Day. It seems like it should be international. But a Nestle representative was so desperate for his coffee that when he couldn't find hot water, he simply mixed the ice with cold water and ice cubes in a shaker.
1: Well, thank goodness for that. I don't know where I would be without a weekly frappe. I'm
0: so thankful for this guy.
1: I went to um, Starbucks the other day and I usually don't go to Starbucks. I usually go to like a local coffee shop and I was driving through the line And I was so tired. It was really early in the morning. And I asked for a latte with soy sauce (laughs) (laughs) instead of soy milk. And they were like, Did you mean milk? I'm like, Probably. I don't know. I don't know. But maybe that's the next hot thing. Oh,
0: that's rich. That would be so gross. Shall Um, we
1: talk about the Great Smoky Mountains?
0: Let's do it. Um, (laughs) Let me pull up my notes uh i'm really anxious to see how this episode's going to go um because although we do have a lot of information for you all it's not so history dense um i mean i'm gonna provide a lot of history but it's not going to be strictly history we are going to get into what makes great smoky mountains national park so great um and give you a lot of other really nice information other than just the history of it but the history is still super important so
1: well, yeah, I'm I'm going to be a lot more animated because I'm I'm excited about what I'm talking about. Right. So, um,
0: I think you've been doing great, though, Cat.
1: I think you've been. I think doing you're
0: great. a joy to listen to. Thanks. A joy. Uh, cool. So let's dive in. Um, I'll just start and and get into the the basic information about Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And also, while I was doing research, literally until like maybe five hours ago, I it was singular mountain i was just googling great smoky mountain national park and on my notes it was just one mountain but fyi there are multiple mountains so it is in fact great smoky mountains national park
1: yes There, there are a lot of um i'm looking at a picture of it right now and there are so many mountains that there are A lot of colors because of the way that the, you know, sun reflects off of them. And I don't know, it's just beautiful. It is
0: so beautiful. Um, Well, the park was chartered by Congress in 1934, and it was officially dedicated by Franklin D. Roosevelt in 1940. Uh, And in all my research, I could not for the life of me find out what the significance of a president dedicating a national park is. Um, So I'm just assuming that it's purely symbolic and that it probably goes back to the Antiquities Act that we discussed, that the president has the authority to declare uh, a piece of land protected. But if Congress already does it before the president, then I'm just assuming that it's symbolic. So if if anyone knows, DM us, shoot us an email. If you know if there is any real weight to a president declaring a national park or dedicating rather a national park after congress has already charted it let us know because i could not figure it out
1: I feel like old delano had to do something sure. to, <laughs> for to you know yeah. uh keep up with teddy and Eleanor.
0: oh don't we all mm-hmm. um so this national park great smoky mountains national park is part of the blue ridge mountains which is part of the appalachian mountains mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a Russian nesting doll park type situation, if you will. Uh, It's a park within a park within a mountain range.
1: Well, and the Appalachian Trail does go through it. It does, Um, and I have it right here on my page that the Appalachian Trail is a two thousand one hundred fifty-eight mile long hiking trail. That Mm -hmm. is not a hiking trail, in my opinion. That's, you know, I I would come back very skinny. Let's do it then. <laughs> All right, let's go. Let's go.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, that would be that would be something, um, something to do. Actually, my mom's friend uh, decided that she was going to hike the entirety of the Appalachian Trail, and she was going to start whenever it was warmer in Maine, and then as it got cooler, make her way down to North Carolina. So she was going to fly. So she's from North Carolina. Was gonna fly to Maine and then walk downward. She flew to Maine, <laughs> made it. I mean, and props to this woman. I've never tried it, so good on you, Terry. But uh, she made it like maybe three weeks in and got like a little bit past um, Vermont, I want to say, and was like, bye. No. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
1: I mean, my mother always blamed my birth for the reason why she didn't do the Appalachian sure, Trail. And I'm like, sure. yeah, that would have been that would have been Sarah as well. So yeah.
0: Um, so maybe that would be really cool to do one day, but, um, definitely got to build up those vacation days for sure.
1: I think we should bike somewhere instead, but anyway. Yeah. I digress. Um, well I'm
0: down to do some planning. Uh, so Great Smoky Mountains National Park is 522,419 acres or just over 800 square miles, making it the 19th largest national park in the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the main entrances are located in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, Townsend, Tennessee, and Cherokee, North Carolina. And as we already said, it's free, so you just drive on in. And that was going to be one of my fun facts later. No, um, oh, sorry, but no, it's fine. We'll just, I'll just bring it up again. There are about twelve point five million visitors annually. That's exactly how much there were in twenty nineteen, and it's the most visited national park every year. And tourism in the park generates an estimated $2.5 billion in the region annually.
1: I read somewhere that it was a day and a half drive for like most of America. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's um, just a, a hop, skip, and a jump for like 50% of the population.
1: Very odd because it's, you know, on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. I, I guess the the center of America isn't as populated Yeah, But a day and a half
0: drive, I I don't know if if where you read that means like 36 hours of straight driving. I would imagine not because if you do that, then you can get to like North Carolina to California. But if a day and a half means like eight hours and then you stop and stay the night and then another four hours. So like maybe a total of less than 20 hours and that's still a good amount of driving. So I think that makes sense.
1: It does. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I would say over half the population could drive to the Great Smoky Mountains in, in less than 20 hours. Cool. So let's get into the history, which will be me monopolizing this portion of the podcast um, because Kat is just not into the history and I am. But that's why we make such a great team. But I'll try to be as brief as possible. But the history of the creation of Great Smoky Mountains National Park is pretty interesting. So shall we go? She's like on her phone. She's like straight up ignoring (laughs) Well, I
1: mean, you said you were going to monopolize this, so I figured I would be quiet. Oh, that's
0: not not what I meant, but okay. I I will comment. No, it's fine. Shut up. For sure. So prior to the European settlers, this region of the Blue Ridge Mountains was home to the Cherokee Nation. Um, So very sad that obviously the Cherokee Nation was driven from their home um, after President Andrew Jackson signed the Indian Removal Act in 1830, and that began the process of what eventually resulted in the forced removal of all Native American tribes. Um, but the Cherokee actually called the region sha Ohe, o which translates to place of the blue smoke. Um, so we still are able to um, give a little nod to the um, Native Cherokee language through the English name of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Uh, And so logging became a major industry in that area, and timber companies started to come in and cut down every tree in sight. And by the early 1900s, visitors and locals were noticing that the forests were starting to disappear, and so they banded together to raise money for preservation of the land.
1: I said, we've seen this before. We
0: sure have. Um, the natives were taking great care of the land. The white people shoved the Native Americans out. The white people were then destroying the land. The white people then said, hey, maybe we should protect the land.
1: <laughs> it's repetitive. Um, it's, this this uh, history thing is repetitive, at least. It really
0: is. So, as I've already said, very thankful for these folks who stepped up to protect the land, but also... Really, really devastating that um, the Native peoples who were already there taking such good care of it for so long were forced out. Um, Okay, so I'm going to talk about three key people and try to be brief on all of them. But I read of three main folks who were um, very important during the, uh, the establishment of Great Smoky Mountains National Park.
1: I'm interested who this is. I don't think I have one in mind.
0: I have never heard of any of these before, so hopefully I can educate you as well as all of our listeners. So enter Mr. and Mrs. Willis P. Davis. The original idea of an Eastern National Park is thought to have come from a wealthy family, the Davises, from Knoxville, Tennessee. Mr. and Mrs. Willis P. Davis had traveled out west to see the national parks, and upon returning home, they asked themselves, why can't we have a national park in the Smokies? And even though the Smokies was settled and lodging, log, lodging, logging, (laughs) Uh, logging was going on, there were a few people who owned land and used it for vacationing and hunting. Um, And the Davises started pushing for a national park there. And the idea gained momentum because they were rich and influential.
1: Once again, this history is very repetitive. Well, I'm going to insert myself. Um, we did figure out what Mathers did for a living. He started borax Soap.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. yes. Thank we you. We said we
1: would bring that we full did. circle. So now I have to ask, what yeah. What did the Davises do? I don't know. Okay.
0: Yeah. That'll be for um, next time. Yeah. We'll, we'll wrap you in next up? time. But I'm trying to be brief with the history, so I didn't want to get too crazy. But yeah, I don't know what they did. I don't think they were nearly as loaded as Stephen Mather, but they still had some cash. All right. So now we're going to talk about... Horace Kephart. So this guy's really interesting. He was born in Pennsylvania, raised in Iowa, and Horace enrolled in graduate school at Cornell by the age of 17, smart guy. He became an expert on early Western explorations and was named head of the prestigious St. Louis Mercantile Library and was married before he was 25. But his marriage proved unhappy. He turned into a heavy drinker and then lost his job and his wife left him, taking their six children.
1: Well, time to move into the woods.
0: Exactly. So homeboy suffered from a breakdown and then said, I'm going to start over in a place where there are not nearly as many people.
1: Or alcohol.
0: Or alcohol. Um, I mean, I'm sure there was some moonshine, but maybe not as readily available. We'll go with that. Um, And he decided that he was going to have a new purpose for his life. So he chose the Smoky Mountains of North Carolina and Tennessee. uh, And he, this is a quote from him. He said, it's an Eden still unpeopled and unspoiled. Which sometimes go hand in hand, depending on the people you're talking about. Uh, so he traped, tramped, traped. <laughs> he he <You> be traped. <laughs> he wandered. We'll just say he bopped around the woods and lived alone in a small cabin where he wrote uh, a book called Camping and Woodcraft, which became known as the Camper's Bible, and then another book called Our Southern Highlanders about the distinctive people in Southern Appalachia. Also, Kat and I say Appalachian Mountains, right? Mm -hmm. If you say Appalachian, just know you're wrong, but we're not gonna like hold it against you.
1: But that's how you define where wine's from. That's why people say Appalachian easier than Appalachian. Well,
0: I still think that's stupid. Actually, Really funny story. Kat and I, well, you might not think it's really funny, but a funny story. Uh, Kat and I went to a conference together a few years ago at App State University in Boone, North Carolina, and there was a (laughs) a keynote speaker, and he was talking and just doing his thing, talking about the earth and sustainability, very big deal, and we were in the main auditorium, which holds, I don't know how many thousands of people, but like well over a thousand people, and he was just going on and said Appalachian. And there was just an audible <gasps> in the auditorium. And again, I mean, I've only lived in North Carolina my whole life, so I don't know how it's pronounced elsewhere. Um, but I just have to stand my ground and say the correct pronunciation is Appalachian. Um, but this guy could have been correct, but people were not having it.
1: Well, he is he's incorrect because <laughs> Appalachian State University. Right. Yes, go Mountaineers. Go Mountaineers. We love you.
0: Um, but that was funny. So anyway, just giving you a hard time. You say it however you want it. But <laughs> this guy, Horace, he was worried that the Smokies were being ravaged by clear-cutting, and he took up the cause for saving the mountains as a national park. Um, and he wrote a lot of influential articles. And by the mid-1920s, more than 300,000 acres had been cut down.
1: I will insert myself again. <clears throat> this is not... Uh, where it started but it is about 30 minutes away from the cradle of forestry so the beginning of forestry so the irony here is deep
0: yeah sounds like it and also i just don't even if you are in the lumber business i just don't know how you can look out across acres and acres and acres of land that you just came in ecosystems that you altered or destroyed altogether and just be like what a good day's work you know like who did that who does that
1: only the worst kind of people no I'm (laughs) just kidding there may be people but I mean um there's another great John Muir quote about how trees have lasted for the test of time but they cannot um outlast idiots
0: yeah unfortunately um so don't be an idiot save a tree or don't even save it just leave it alone
1: read a book read a book Not made out of a tree. Not made out of a tree.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or a used book. That is great, too. Uh, Horace uh, and a few like-minded people proposed that the Smoky Mountains be made into a national park to protect the 100,000 acres that still remained, that had not been cut down.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Good for Horace. Okay,
0: so (laughs) Horace had a friend named George Massa. I'm almost done with the history cat. George was a Japanese-born man whose birth name was Masara Izuka. He had come to the United States to study mining, and in 1915, his job search brought him to Asheville, North Carolina. He changed his name to George Massa, took a position in the laundry room at an executive inn, and was soon promoted to the valet desk, where he became a favorite of the hotel's elite clientele. And his side job was processing and printing film. And we talked about in our last episode how important photography was to conveying to people the beauty and majesty of these incredible places. Um, And the local local chamber of commerce would later use his photos to promote the region. So Mass's love for the mountains brought him in contact with Horace Kephart, who recruited him into the crusade to save the Smokies. Uh, So community leaders in nearby towns also got on the bandwagon, um, some out of love for the mountains, and some thought that tourism would just be really good for the economy. Good. And they wanted people to um, come into the picture. Cool. So that's all I had on the people of the history, but we got to talk about how they got this land.
1: Yes. Well, um, I'm very interested in that, actually. How did they get this land?
0: Well, it was... According to your notes. According to my notes, uh, it took several years. So, um, Horace and Massa, Horace and George, uh, got together and at the suggestion of a New York publicity firm, the group called itself the Great Smoky Mountain Conservation Association. And soon, the mountains themselves were referred to as the Great Smokies. And a promotional booklet was published with photographs by George Massa and text by Horace Kephart. So... Here comes Stephen Mather, our boy. So in 1926, with the support of the National Park Service Director, Stephen Mather, Congress authorized the creation of three new Southern parks in Virginia, Kentucky, and North Carolina and Tennessee. Can you name them? They were Shenandoah National Park, Mammoth Cave National Park, and Great Smoky Mountains National Park. However, Congress insisted that the money to buy the land came entirely from the states or private donations. They said, we think this is a really great idea. We approve the park, even though we have no land for the park. Also, states and people, you need to come up with the funding. And that bill in 1926 allowed the Department of the Interior to assume responsibility over the park once 150,000 acres of land had been acquired. They wanted 150,000 acres of land uh, that were predetermined that that needed to be bought purchased people needed to not live there or do, be doing anything over there before it became an official national park and to put that into perspective that is 1,401 times the size of national kingdom not national kingdom magic kingdom
1: <laughs> <laughs> the magic national kingdom
0: <laughs> um and the federal government like i said they they refused to um purchase any of the land to create a national park. So in Tennessee, and North Carolina, the fundraising goal was set to $10 million, which today that would equal $146,846,000,000. And keep in mind, this was in one of the poorest sections of the country. People in the Appalachian mountains were dirt poor, like wearing burlap sacks for clothes, not going anywhere because they couldn't go anywhere
1: this an actual visual that you're giving like oh the burlap straight or? up yeah oh my gosh and that
0: lasted for a long time dolly parton wore burlap sacks to school
1: i'll do anything dolly does oh, i'll she, go to the end of the world with dolly she's phenomenal
0: parton. um yeah but people in this area were dirt poor uh so the logging interest indres- hello <laughs> the logging interest <laughs> I'm done. I can't I can't do this. Cat can you take over?
1: Industry. <laughs> Thank you.
0: The logging industry fought back and it even began to cut down more trees at a rapid rate in fear that they wouldn't be able to log in that area soon. What a bunch of douches.
1: Oh my god! How awful is that.
0: Um so let's catch up to those those loggers. In spring of nineteen twenty seven, five million dollars in cash was pledged. To be raised, um, but it was only half of what they needed and logging continued at a frenzy pace. So enter philanthropist John D. Rockefeller. He came to the rescue. When he was shown some of Mass's photographs and told about the impending destruction of the forests, Rockefeller initially pledged $1.5 million and then reconsidered and offered the entire five million smackaroos. Thank you so much, John. Um, So this wasn't just a triumphant success story of people defeating the lumber companies and saving the forest. A lot of people, both American settlers and the surviving Cherokee, were forced to leave their homes. Right. Yeah. So while some property owners happily sold their land and moved, others took their cases to court. And so in 1930, condemnation suits began, and then states had the right to condemn property for higher use, and it wasn't until 1931 that a champion lawsuit was settled. And everyone, including the largest timber company, Little River Lumber Company, had to settle and they had to get out.
1: Wow. mm mm-hmm.
0: um, I mean, it makes sense on a very basic level that you can't have people living and working in the national park. But um, I feel like we don't always think about the repercussions of people who had been there uh, and they were... I mean, especially when you think about the Cherokee people, they were forced to move once, and then surviving members were forced to move again. Um, at least, I guess you can think of the silver lining that they were paid for Even if they didn't want to go, right. they were paid. There were settlements. Um, but it still... So they say. So they say. But it still sucks that they had to leave their home.
1: Yeah. Um, apparently, only a few Cherokees live near the park today. And if you were to look at a map... We really should be doing this. Like you have a face for television, so we oh, should be doing it like you. this. But um, yeah, there's like a whole Cherokee Indian reservation that that takes up a, a good chunk of the perimeter of the bottom of the Great Smoky Mountains. So mm-hmm. to hear that that large piece of land has very few Cherokees left is really sad. And then there's Cherokee National Forest on the other side. Yeah, and Pisgah. And Pisgah is where the the uh, Cradle of, oh nice forestry was yeah okay yeah
0: cool yeah so just keep that in mind I guess as we as we do celebrate uh, the national parks and how wonderful they are for us today there we will just probably continue to bring up um, some of the ugly part of the history of how these parks were created so. Almost done with the history. By then, the Great Depression had devastated the country uh, and the people of Tennessee, North Carolina were unable to fulfill many of the pledges they had made to create the park. And so that's when President Franklin Delano Roosevelt decided to intervene, even after the federal government said they wouldn't, and allocated $1.5 million in federal funds to complete the land purchase. And it was the first time in history that the United States government had spent its own money to buy land for a national park. And so the predetermined 150,000 acres had been acquired, and the Great Smoky Mountains National Park was officially established on June 15,
1: 1934. Yay! Yay! That's really, I mean, thank you for doing all the reading so I can do the listening and learn.
0: Yikes, you are welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so uh, it didn't, so that was like uh, over 10 years in the making. Again, we go back to the dedication by Franklin Delano Roosevelt in 1940. So I'm not sure, you know, the true significance of that and if anything really took place in that six year gap between when it was created in 1934 and that dedication. Um, but thanks to all those folks who helped,
1: who helped make it very special. Do you have any more history? Because I had like a little factoid.
0: No, I'm I'm done with history. I'm sure everyone is. This is kind of historic. Of talking about history, okay?
1: So it's not for certain, but they think that NASCAR started in at least on the Blue Ridge Whoa. Mountains because of bootleggers trying to outrun the police
0: that's pretty cool
1: i know i was like we have to talk about that yeah. but um yeah it was during the prohibition obviously
0: even if that's not true that's still really cool
1: it's it's pretty well accepted um mm. okay i'll accept it yeah i'm down for it so um <laughs> okay. just thought that, that that was fun that's a neat little um little fact factoid appreciate that factoid. thank factoid. you what's
0: the difference between a fact and a factoid
1: um i don't think factoid is a word I think it
0: is. Um, Let's Google it. Okay, everyone, give us a second. We'll cut out this pause. Fact versus factoid. A fact is based on observation that has been verified many times. A factoid is a statement based on assumption. (gasps) Something that has never been confirmed. So you were right. That is a factoid because it's not confirmed, but it is uh, a widely accepted assumption. Okay. Okay. Cool. We're going to take a break and then come back and we're done talking about history. So please don't give up on us. Wake we're going to have a lot more fun in the <laughs> second half and talk about um, some other really cool, random, interesting things about Critters. Smoky Mountains
1: National Park.
0: <laughs> cool. I'm excited. See you soon. Cool. Hey, everyone. Welcome back.
1: Thanks. I'm so excited. I want to get started. Let's do it. All right. So. The... Great Smoky Mountains have a smorgasbord of biodiversity. Mm. So I am going to quiz you right now. Okay. Why would that be? Why would we have a board of different plants, animals, fungi?
0: I don't know, because everyone wants to live in the Great Smoky Mountains?
1: <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> I like that. So the Great Smoky Mountains are in the beautiful state of north carolina which has a very mild temperature so it doesn't get too too cold it doesn't get too too hot they're also i don't know if you recognize this yet they're mountains so True. <laughs> they create their own kind of um uh not atmosphere but like weather uh-huh. so like one side of the mountain might be dry and one side of the mountain might get a lot of rain it ranges in elevation from 649 to 6,000 feet. So basically, it's just different everywhere you look. Yeah. So it's been a really great place for all of the things that wanted to live there to just like find their little habitat and live their best little lives. So, for example, there are over 99 fish species, 70 mammal species. 225 bird species, just 27 kinds of salamander alone. We have 1,500, over 1,500 different flowering plants and over 100 different kinds of trees.
0: Get hype, Cal! Oh my god, I'm so
1: excited. It so. is really
0: cool, it's very diverse.
1: Yeah. And so obviously, like everything else we've said, people have come into the mountains and they have seen all this wonderful biodiversity and they've been like, I want to take it. So they have kind of obliterated some of the different species. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned that because there was a part of the park that we haven't talked about yet. And I think it's really cool. Did you read anything about Cades Cove? Yes, it's awesome.
0: It's like it's one of the most visited areas of the park.
1: Yeah, but I also never figured out why it's called a cove. And that's why I was thinking the Little Mermaid earlier because she talks uh, about a cove, yeah. and then I looked up what cove meant. Basically, this is one of the only flat areas, right? That's
0: like a big, all beautiful prairie
1: exactly so pretty and it's on limestones it has nice fertile soil and the Native Americans used it as hunting lands and it was one of the first areas that we bought from the indigenous peoples um, because we were like hey this is amazing we immediately like shot all of the wild turkeys which were almost our national bird. Yeah. Did you know that it's fun in, fact?
0: Uh, ben Franklin, right? He oh, proposed I'm,
1: it. I'm pretty sure he proposed it. I'm so glad that's not our national <laughs> bird. <laughs> and honestly, I read today that um, neither the eagle or the wild turkey is um, just North America. Like they're in Canada and Mexico too. So mm-hmm. we're like one of the only countries that's like, hey, this is our bird, but it's also other people's bird. Anyway. I digress. <laughs> so um, there was this great place called Kate's Cove. Apparently that is where your visitor center is when you go visit there. Um, they have a little trail. If you go early in the morning, they're talking about how like there will be dew on the spider webs and there's no one out there and you can either bike the trail or walk the trail. You need like two hours to drive the trail in the peak of the season because everyone's going so slowly around this like very short trail that you need to just plan for that so interestingly enough there's a lot to see so i wanted to choose a few different animals and plants to talk about let's do it now um i don't know what order i want to go in so i'm going to ask you one two or three two such a good one yes all right so it's not necessarily an animal or a plant or a fungi so any idea
0: um rain
1: (laughs) (laughs) no okay it's a butterfly the great smoky mountains are actually a great passageway for a lot of different migrations a lot of different birds go through there or other animals The monarch butterfly, like everyone's favorite butterfly. Right, staple. They're actually there right now, like as we're talking. Um, They go from northeast United States and all the way to Mexico. It's like a 2,000 mile travel. These little boogers, I mean, if you haven't seen them, I don't think they're that special looking, but a lot of people think they're really pretty. They fly seven miles per hour. Oh, wow. I know. like, Not on bad. My, on my little bike, I like casually do 10 miles an hour. So these little... Anyways. That's pretty quick. So the monarch, um, if you don't already know, a lot of people know about the monarch butterfly. But um, it is endangered according to the Fish and Wildlife Service, I believe. And um, part of the reason is because they only lay their eggs on one particular plant. It's the milkweed. And so if there's no milkweed around, they're not going to do it. For example, in our area, people won't like plant milkweed. Because it's a weed. So it's like going to take over, right? So it's been taken out also insecticides and global warming and all of those bad things. But the milkweed is really important. So the female butterfly lays her eggs on the bottom part of the milkweed and then a caterpillar or not a caterpillar. (laughs) Yeah, I guess a caterpillar. Yeah, I was right. Okay. (laughs) Own it. (laughs) Commit. (laughs) uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i promise i'm not lying again yeah. <laughs> it um it bursts out of its little caterpillar egg and it starts munching away on the milkweed The milkweed is actually poisonous so birds and other predators of the caterpillar part of this butterfly all the birds are like no don't eat that one uh, so they're safe so they're safe from that um so they are like i mean pretty stinking cool there are also nine other federally threatened or endangered species within the park i didn't look up what they all are but that's pretty amazing too i have a feeling they're probably plants
0: yeah maybe no i don't know you know more on this than i i do have a question about the milkweed so does that mean since monarchs are so prevalent in great smoky mountains national park that there are more a lot more milkweeds than other areas of the state and country
1: good question so not necessarily uh they have continued to go there not only because it is their migration pattern and they have the milkweed there i know people like two years ago they talked about the monarchs being threatened and you couldn't even buy milkweed because everyone was buying it out so they probably replanted some yeah really important i really love monarchs just because i think they're a good they're like don't call it a comeback story they were like, we weren't going anywhere. Don't worry Heck about yes. the monarchs. Yeah. As long as um, we don't put up, you know, like a huge wall in their way to get to Mexico. They'll be fine. <laughs> um, okay. So the next one is, it's a story, but it's also like an inspiration of my old boss, Stan. Okay. His spirit animal is the black bear. Love it. Um, Stan has some really funny stories about black bears. Black bears are actually the smallest of all the bear species. Right. Yeah. So they're like two to three feet tall in adulthood and they're two hundred pounds like when they're, you know, just munching around during the spring, and then they get super fat and they hibernate. You can wake them up when they're hibernating though. Okay. There are some bears that you just can't wake up, but you can wake these up. They are all over The Blue Ridge, basically. Or, I guess, the Appalachian Mountains. They're everywhere. I read
0: there were over 1,500 in Great Smoky
1: Mountain National Park. I never know how they count these things. Me (laughs) neither. Like, do you put a little tag on its ear?
0: But, I mean, I trust that they know what they're doing more so than I, so.
1: So, this is when I realized how much of a moron I was that I didn't remember I had been here before. I actually was taking about a hundred pound tent because someone that a moron that I was trying to go camping with <laughs> brought a hundred pound tent with us it was like 14 by 14 we got like 200 yards onto this like pretty treacherous trail and a baby black bear Aww. was coming down a tree just okay. staring at me in the face so I dropped said heavy tent through my food bag at the bear Threw this moron in front of me and Good ran into the car. Great. That's not what you're supposed to do. Oh, <laughs> I, I read that, but well, better um, the moron than you. No, I completely agree. And little, little baby. Well, now that I read that, like they're two to three feet at adulthood, it might have been not a baby. Maybe he was like an
0: adolescent.
1: It was probably like a, like a, bear. a full on oh, wow. black bear at that point. But anyway, so um, they are, if you're going to go and camp or even just hike, you need to take a look at the websites and know what to do about the bears. Mm-hmm. Um, They don't really want anything to do with you. They are omnivorous. So they like like little insects and things, but they're not really into like killing. They just want some berries.
0: Good to know. That's great. Yeah. Um, Back to this tent. Mm-hmm. How many people were able to fit in this tent? It was just you and the moron.
1: It was just me and the moron.
0: But So if it's 14 by that you can fit like plenty of people in there.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, depending on how comfortable you want to be or how hard the sand is. Right. Exactly. You said it.
0: (laughs) Interesting that um, they brought such a large tent for just the two of you.
1: I think that they were trying to impress me, but that don't impress me. Didn't much. work.
0: The bear got him.
1: Oh, super fun little side note. So another reason we have such great biodiversity here is because there are more wetlands than would naturally be there because there are beavers that build oh, dams the yeah. wetlands. I know. Oh, this, good. Oh. I wish I could just show pictures of all of this. Anyway, last animal.
0: Hear it. Right. Oh,
1: the southern flying squirrel.
0: Squirrel.
1: <laughs> squirrel. Yes. Um, I'm gonna say squirrel for the rest of this. But if you know, ooh, I forget his name. Tan France. He says squirrel is a sound you make. Squirrel is an animal.
0: Who is Who is Tan France?
1: He's on Queer Eye. Oh. Uh, yeah. Okay. He's like the. Uh, fashion guy. I mean,
0: he's not wrong. It definitely helps to say it "squirrel" for <laughs> spelling purposes. Right. Um, also, I befriended a few Australians uh, when I was at school for um, c- because I made friends with some um, Australians who were studying abroad, and they don't not, they don't have squirrels in Australia. Right. And so, hearing an Australian say the word "squirrel" is Entertainment at its finest. It's so cute and so pure. Um and Americans have a hard enough time saying the word So someone who has never needed to say the word before, it's uh it's a laugh. They have the best accent. They they truly do. I mean And everyone's beautiful in Australia. They have the best accents, right? they're all beautiful, they're just like all so chill and chill. cool. Okay, whenever I went to Australia, um we were like the the group I was studying with we were in a courtyard in Brisbane and we were just like doing our thing it was our last night in the city before we like went out to the wilderness and did like more of the excursions and camp exactly so we were just like out and about doing our thing and Um, And this was like maybe right around dinner time um, and we were just out and then going to go back to the hostel and get ready and then, you know, be (laughs) dumb Americans going out in Australia. But we were in the courtyard and all these beautiful people started showing up and it was like these very handsome gentlemen in tuxes and these gorgeous tall women in beautiful ball gowns and we were like oh my gosh there's like the equivalent of the australian met gala is taking place (laughs) here and like all these models and there's going to be a vogue cover shoot it was a prom (gasps) and all like and all of us like ugly overweight americans (laughs) like just drooling on the ground just like over these incredible australian figures and we were just like well there goes all of our self-esteem but aside from physically being beautiful the most of the australians i know are just like solid great people
1: uh, i've i've only met a few and yes i completely agree with you and they have really funny phrases as well they do. that i like but um
0: anyway thanks for letting me um interject my story no, about I, I uh it. being a six among a bunch of 10 australian <laughs> teenagers they were that like 11 in America. <laughs> Honestly.
1: So, one of my students studied abroad in Australia last semester, and she said that wallabies are basically their score year Oh, cool. I know. <laughs> that they're idea. like everywhere, and that you can just like get one to eat out of your hand. Really? Yeah. Don't you try didn't that Didn't experience a squirrel. that?
0: No, I did not. Yeah. Well, but neat. Maybe next time.
1: Well, so squirrels. Squirrels. Um, these are not sugar gliders. If, um, anyone was wondering, sugar gliders are marsupials and these are rodents and they do fly or they glide. So (laughs) I (laughs) I was like, what? And they flap their little (laughs) squirrely wings. No, actually I had a sugar glider and I would like put my arm out so it could glide and, they pee and poop everything that they have in them before they do it so don't suggest nice. that don't stand under the squirrels no, no, no. <laughs> um, okay but they they are nocturnal they come out at night i had no idea so they these are all over north america i don't think i've ever seen one in the wild but they said I that haven't. they're at they come out at night cool. so that makes sense yeah so, i'm not spending
0: a lot of time in the woods <laughs> at night Lately, anyway, Not lately,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had my fourteen-person tent, so I couldn't see any of the squirrels. Um, so this professor was actually out, and he had an ultraviolet light, and he found out that a lot of these squirrels have fluorescent like colors on their belly. Cool. So they like really glow in the dark. That's so cute. Isn't that? Like, well, I mean, and who would have ever known, right? Yeah, that's it's, really neat. Um, so it's more strongly on the underside, at least, but. That's uh, kind of crazy, the fluorescent effect of the squirrel going through the sky and pooping and peeing on you,
0: so... What a wonder.
1: <laughs> Yay. They also live in woodpecker holes. That's so I, small. Yeah, and they build their nest out of leaves and twigs, and they use that in the summer for, like, getting away from things, and then they don't hibernate, but in the winter they, like, reduce their metabolism and everything and just kind of chill out
0: great i do the same <laughs> <laughs> but good for them that's pretty neat so Wonderful.
1: those were my aminals um i have plants as well so the next one is another example of when i found out that i was i had been well this actually was right outside of the great smokies this is in asheville and pisgah forest Got it. but it's relevant so the american chestnut have you ever heard of it no because they don't exist anymore there was a blight and it got rid of all the chestnuts. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> <Ouch>. <laughs> so now um, we import all of our chestnuts, but also we have um, made hybrid chestnuts with the Chinese chestnut. And so we're trying to see if we can plant those and replant the chestnut forest in Eastern North Carolina oh, and cool. see what happens. I worked with an organization and, like, helped them with randomizing this at one point, and they had a mascot named Chester.
0: Of a nut? Or... (laughs) He was
1: nut. Oh, great. (laughs) He was a little nut, but it was so, like, (laughs) obvious. It was ridiculous. That's okay. But yeah, they, um, the chestnuts have reached a genetic dead end, so that's pretty sad for them, and... What does that mean? In the US, because of their inability to reproduce, there are no more. Oh. So it, they survived for 40 million years and they were wiped out in 40 years. Oh, no. Yeah, they actually, I read somewhere that they were almost as tall as the um, redwoods. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Oh, that sucks. I know. And imagine like all the little critters that were like munching yeah. on some chestnuts and then they were just all gone. Mm-hmm. But we have a, a replacement. So the pawpaw. Okay. I've never had a pawpaw, have you? No. So pawpaw... Like, not a grandfather. Pawpaw. (laughs) It's actually spelled the same way. (laughs) P-A-W-P-A-W. Yeah. Um, So pawpaw, it didn't replace the chestnuts. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to, like, segue into the next part of this, which is the pawpaw tree. The pawpaw tree. The pawpaw. Because there's nothing else to say about chestnuts. Pawpaws are actually the largest fruit that's made in North America. People say they taste a little bit like well a lot like a banana with some citrus and some vanilla and i know google
0: (laughs) this pawpaw
1: pawpaw um they are a a short tree so um it doesn't matter how tall the trees get above them they're still going to survive deer don't like to eat their leaves and things like that. So people who live near here like to plant pawpaws. Oh, not only so that they can get some pawpaw <laughs> fruit. But I don't know why I keep like emphasizing it. Very southern pawpaw fruit. It's just in your in your <laughs> North Carolina blood to give it some twang. Super tired, <laughs> um, but. Yeah, they can have it in their yard, and it, it it's beautiful. Cool. So it actually starts producing its fruit. Well, it's the fruit is ready around this time of year. So it's also a good fruit for all these little critters that were munching on them chestnuts mm-hmm. to have um, before they go into like a hibernation type of season. It's got plenty of fats and proteins and things like that in it. So. Check out the pawpaw. Paw. A lot of my friends that live up in that area that go to Appalachian State say that they're delicious and that they make all sorts of desserts with them.
0: Can know. you get one at a grocery store? Mm-hmm. You can? hmm Huh. Yeah. Okay.
1: Isn't it kind of shocking that that grows in our state and it's not like... Yeah. We, don't, we yeah. don't know
0: about it. I didn't learn about that in fourth grade when you learned about the rest of North Carolina.
1: Yeah. I know. And it's, uh, hmm. it's a little frustrating. But anyway... Curious. Um, these trees are also kind of dependent on, um, well, they are dependent on pollinators. So they can't like self-reproduce in their own flower. They need another tree and a, right. a pollinator to pollinate from flower to flower. But um, apparently a lot of their root systems are connected because they're kind of the same tree. So they're a little bit... Um,
0: Teammates, I don't know. No,
1: incestuous.
0: Oh, even better. Okay, they're real close teammates. Get it, pawpaws. Oh, that's fine. They're plants. They can do their thing.
1: Well, I agree. <laughs> um, they're living their best pawpaw life out there, just making all of, all of the deer happy. Good. So the last one is actually a flowering plant. We have so many beautiful ones. I have taken for granted the biodiversity in North Carolina my entire life because you just think it's basic because it's around you all the time. But yeah, it's not. But it's it's
0: not. We have so much going on here. And even in the coast of North Carolina where we live, it, there's like less diversity definitely than in the mountain area. But it's still pretty... Pretty solid amount of biodiversity um, compared to a lot of other places in the country. I know. Let's get a, a, a renewed appreciation for all the biodiversity in our area.
1: The Schmorgersborg. The Schmorgersborg. Um, well, and this kind of, um, I liked the story for that because um, it, it shows, and actually, we had a speaker come last year from. She had to have been from England. Anyway, um, she came to talk about rain garden plants with us. And she was like, no, you don't understand when I come here. I'm like amazed by all the plants y'all have. So after the Revolutionary War, there was this botanist, um, Andre. And he was sent by the King of France to try to find some new species of trees that they could bring back to France that would be suitable for the climate and things like that. And he just loved north carolina of course yeah so um the the one that he decided um he was going to bring back is the catawba rhododendron love a good rhododendron rhododendron nice yes and he said that when they flower and if you've ever seen their flowers it's like the plant made a little bouquet of their own flowers for you. Oh. There's just so it's it's different than a hydrangea. Hydrangeas are the bottom of the barrel in my opinion in flowers. Oh. Rhododendrons are way up there. But they turn the entire okay. mountainsides into oceans of purple blossoms when they're blossoming. Beautiful. And I just think it's so yes, that's so amazing. So anyway, that was really I feel like I got a lot off my chest. I finally got to talk about plant You enjoyed that
0: so much. Oh, and I enjoyed listening to that. Good. That was incredible. Thanks for sharing and doing all that research um, and educating all of us on all the great stuff that's going on in the Great Smoky Mountains as far as plant animal life.
1: I feel like it's going to be easier to choose from when it's not something so close to home like i i was like how do you choose there are otters here too but i knew there'd be otters somewhere else and i was like i, I probably need to leave the I, otters for a less cool area that's kind of you the bomb.com sweet okay
0: well i have um also a few things just miscellaneous interesting information uh, should we go for it? I think I'm going to go I'm for it. I'm just kidding. Go for it. <laughs> um, cool. So I'll just rattle off a, a number of really cool um, facts that I that I discovered. So Kat already mentioned this, but elevations in the park range from about 875 feet to 6,643 feet at the summit of Klingman's Dome, which is the third tallest peak east of the Mississippi. And within the park, there are a total of 16 mountains that reach higher than 5,000 feet. About 36% of the park has trees that were there before European settlement. Mm -hmm. So we got some old trees up in here.
1: Helps with biodiversity, by the way.
0: Exactly. Uh, And at Newfoundland Gap, where the park was dedicated by FDR, you can stand in North Carolina and Tennessee at the same time. Straddle them. Yeah. So go um, be in two places at once. And the Smoky Mountains are estimated to be as old as 300 million years and were once as high as twenty thousand feet.
1: They're some of the old. They are the oldest mountain range in North America. Correct. Yeah. Was that your next fact? No. Oh my gosh! I feel so smart.
0: You are genius. <laughs> um, and there are more than two thousand miles of streams in Great Smoky Mountains National Park.
1: Yeah, I felt kind of bad that I I didn't include a fish. Because there are so many freshwater streams. That's
0: okay. I think if we were to include everything that like we wanted to include or that was even remotely interesting, um, we would have a three-hour long episode. So, you know, you got to pick and choose. There are 850 miles of trails and unpaved roads in the park for hiking, including 70 miles, we mentioned this earlier, of the Appalachian Trail, which is a total of 2,198 miles. Uh, so we're going to... Go on that one day and come back v skinny. Uh, Great Smoky Mountains National Park is one of fifteen free national parks. <gasps> Throwback.
1: There are 15? There
0: are 15.
1: Oh my God, I can afford those.
0: (laughs) Um, And that's because the land that is the Great Smoky Mountains National Park today was once privately owned, as we talked about before in our history lesson, and the states of Tennessee and North Carolina paid to construct Newfoundland Gap Road. And when Tennessee transferred ownership of the road over to the federal government, it was stated that no toll or license shall be ever imposed. Yeah, so that's why it's free. Um, And this one was really cool. Kat already talked about this. There are 27, at least 27 known types of salamander species. (laughs) And it is officially called the salamander capital of the world. And the largest salamander in the Smokies is the hellbender. And it can reach up to 29 (laughs) inches in length.
1: We have one in our backyard. It lives under the shed. It's like this big. That's not 29 inches. Yeah, but, like, I have never... They're scary. What? It's like, it, ours is red. I like didn't know orange. salamander
0: could get that long. Yeah. That is insane. Yeah. I, it's it's impressive, but also, like, real creepy to me. <laughs> um, there are just over 90 historical structures that are preserved by the park, including barns, churches, and schools that are way, way old. There are over 100 species of trees...
1: Well, going back to that, the Cades Cove area has yeah. the most con- like, dense of all of the old buildings and things like that, and there's a, what is it called... Um, a, a grist mill, and I yeah. have to look up what a grist mill. was I it's saw
0: like, that in my research and was like, no, I'm not even gonna. I'm not gonna look at it. Up. But what did you look it up?
1: Yeah, they just make flour.
0: Oh, okay, that's not yeah. exciting.
1: No, it's not. Yeah. But like the grist mill and the cove, and I don't. First of all, why isn't it the flour mill? And it's mm. the flatlands, right? So, so why is it not called a? Prairie? It's just very complicated.
0: Hmm, interesting. Um, I do have a fun little uh, factoid, factoid if you will, <laughs> slash story, because I'm pretty sure it's just accepted as fact, um, but who knows? We'll see. A Smokies resident, Jack Huff, not only climbed Mount Lecomte over 2,000 times, but he once carried his mother on his back to the top so that she could see the Smokies' sunset from Mount Lecomte one last time. How sweet is that?
1: That is, I mean, we should start with that story.
0: Okay. Let's re record this whole thing. (laughs) And I'll start from the very bottom of my notes. Great idea, Kat. Um, But I also think that's a great note to end on. I think that's so, so cute. Um, So, this guy, Jack Huff, he also started his own lodge uh, and called it Jack Huff's. He started it in 1959, which is still thriving in Gatlinburg, Tennessee to this day.
1: Nice. I'm so glad that we got to share this preciousness with uh Tennessee as well.
0: Yeah. It's always great to have a good team member.
1: But if I had a son, I would want
0: them to be like Jack. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Carrying his mom up to the top of the mountain, that's like
1: It didn't give you any details about like her dimensions.
0: <laughs> it didn't. No, no. Um, but what's how rude? Didn't that happen in holes? Oh, he carried a pig. Ooh. Remember in, in in holes in the book holes? No? Okay, well, whatever. Someone had a horrible elementary school time Mm -hmm. if didn't read holes. But, yeah, I guess more important to carry a mother up a mountain than a pig, depending who your mom is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Depending on our dimensions. That was awful. Sorry.
0: (laughs) Um, Cool. Well, Kat, do you have any more questions, (laughs) thoughts, comments, philosophies, intuitions, or ambiguities?
1: today maybe tomorrow okay i do feel like we should start a blog for things like that
0: sure um i'm completely down that'd be neat cool well um that wraps up our episode of the great smoky mountains national park thank you so much for listening and tuning in and um
1: for dealing with us, dealing with
0: all our giggles tonight what a time this has been uh, you can find us on anywhere you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Um, and follow us on Instagram at m f y a m podcast. And tune in next week for episode four. Um, and you just have to wait and be surprised about what part we talk about then. Peace, man. Have a good one.
1: You're beautiful.